Psalm 23. For those of you who weren't here last week, uh, we're going through a new series uh, called The Good Shepherd. Um, We're really just endeavoring to understand our relationship between God the shepherd and us his sheep. And, and, And so in this whole process, last week we looked at how Yahweh, our God, our shepherd, how he restores us. And this week we're going to be learning about how he leads us into paths of righteousness. And so turn to Psalm 23. We're going to start at verse 1. And as we did last week, I thought it was a sweet time. Um, We're going to read it together. Okay, so that'll force you to actually turn to Psalm 23. And so... uh, Without further ado, if you guys would read this with me, starting at verse 1 and going all the way through. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray, church. Father, we truly, truly love you. And God, that is, a, that is, that is simply a response to the love that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you'd shower your agape love on us tonight and you would lead us as such. That we as your sheep would just, as we learned last week, just seek to be in your presence. Lord, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and we will be satisfied with you. Lord, uh, satisfy our hearts in you tonight. And God, uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have to say. Uh, Anything that's said of me, Lord, just make it be forgotten. But what's said of you, etch on our hearts for all of eternity. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said before, guys, uh, last week we we endeavored uh, to introduce this new series by just going through the restoring nature of our Lord, the restoring nature of our Savior. And we really looked about how, you know, God always refers to himself as a shepherd in Scripture. He always refers to himself as a shepherd, but that's not necessarily because he associates with the shepherd. Because, you know, we know that shepherds were lowly titles back then. But it's actually more so, we are more like sheep. Therefore, we need a shepherd. Amen? And so God associates as a shepherd and us the sheep. And we're really starting to learn about the relationship between our good shepherd and us as the sheep. How we, you know, as sheep are unable to do much by ourselves. We are skittish and fearful creatures. You see, we're always looking for new things. We're always looking for new grass and and, and greener pastures and stiller waters, but have no real means to get it ourselves. And when we, when we learn about when, when God says that he wants to make us like down in green pastures and that he wants to lead us beside still waters, we, we drop in our heads this idea of a green pasture, a flourishing life. Or we drop in our heads this idea of still waters, a peaceful life. And, and, and we learned last week that the minute we start to draw up in our heads what a flourishing life or what a peaceful life may look like, apart from our Lord, we start to stray away. And God, as a good shepherd, restores us. And restoring doesn't necessarily mean making us feel better. Restoring rather means making us become what we were truly meant to be. Restoring. Bringing us back to where we're supposed to be. And we learned, and as we will learn in later weeks, uh, that in order to restore us, sometimes the shepherd needs to do what shepherds would often do when the sheep would stray and they would keep straying and they would keep straying is the shepherd would need to take the sheep, break its legs, put it on his shoulders and walk with him. And so oftentimes we, and I know I have felt this way, I have felt like a sheep that has been, had his legs broken. And And then the shepherd had to put me on his back in order for me to recognize the voice of my Lord. 
And you see, the key to a flourishing, peaceful life is not to draw up these ideas of how to get this prosperity. Rather, just seek to be near the Father. Our takeaway and our application of last week was to learn to recognize His voice as He leads us and as He restores us by searching in His Word and endeavoring in a good prayer life. We also learned that we need to seek to be near Him, Christian. And we have this question of, yes, we we go to church, but do we spend time with God? Do we spend time with Yahweh? Do we seek to just be at our Father's feet? You see, never, ever, ever mistake doing things for God with spending time with God. We must never mistake this. Though, Though a natural outflow of being with God should be us doing stuff for God. Amen? And this week, we are going to be endeavoring where he says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. We looked at the restoring nature of God. Now we look at the leading nature of our God. How does the shepherd lead us, as David says here? And it's a great concept, isn't it? It's a great idea. It is, it's a wonderful and grand idea. Yes, the Lord leads us. You know, it's awesome for David to say, oh, yes, God leads me. It's awesome for Abraham to just walk out and step out in faith. It's amazing for Nehemiah to just know exactly what his mission is and just go for it. And we read in scriptures all these great feats. And we, and we learn that uh, being led by the Lord, you know, with these characters in the Bible being missional, and having purpose, great adventure and glory awaiting them in all that they do. It's truly great to read about. It's truly great to read about as it is in any novel. However, the majority of us have not been so fortunate to have God peer open the clouds and hit us with lightning will, right? And not many of us have been as so fortunate to have the voice of the Lord booming in our ears and tell us exactly what we need to do. So if you're anything like me, you read these things in scripture where people are just so certain of God's will, so certain of his leading abilities and the nature that, that just leads, the shepherd that leads and guides. If you're anything like me, you, you just love, love to read about it. But where the heck is God when I need him sometimes? I just wish he would speak to me, right? In these situations where I have no idea. And if he's going to be silent, then how am I supposed to follow him, right? You see, it would be great if he would speak to us in a way that we can relate to, right? It would be great for us if he could just, you know, pull up an ad on Hulu like everyone else, right? Trying to get our attention, if you would go into our own context, it would be much easier for the Christian if God was much clearer and speaks to me on my terms, right? In the way that I want him to speak to me. It would be so much easier for me to recognize the voice of the Lord. But I'm going to give you some very clear steps on how we can recognize the voice of the Lord. Because, yeah, it's a great concept, but it's, it's much harder in practice sometimes to truly hear the voice of the Lord when there's so much voices out there, right? There's so much other white noise just blocking out everything. There, there's so much media out there. There's so much different people telling me different things. There's society, just pressure all over the place. Everyone telling me to do something different. I need the Lord to be louder, Right? And, and, and the Lord would say, I'm speaking clearly. You have to be near me. You have to be near me to hear my small, still voice. And so we are going to be going through some practical steps, some super practical steps on how to be guided by the Lord, on how to follow him as a sheep would follow his shepherd. We're going to be going through these things. However... Before we lay some ground, we need to lay some ground rules before we talk about hearing from the Lord. Because everyone wants to hear from God. Not everyone wants to obey God. It's true. We always want God to tell us something. We always want God to give us insight. However, what happens when we don't necessarily like what we hear, right? 
The Lord's always willing to speak. Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to receive? Because God will speak clearly. However, we need to understand when he speaks and when he leads us and when he guides us, it's going to be in a path of righteousness for his namesake, right? He leads me in his paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, there's a criteria to being led by God, guys. There's a criteria to being led by God. You see, you need to understand two things. You need to understand two things before you even want to be led by God. Because maybe you say like, oh, I want the Lord's guidance. I want the Lord's will in this. But when you finally discover what his will is, you're just going to bow out because you didn't sign up for this, right? I get so many people that sign up for Christianity and thinks it's sunshine and roses. And then when it's not, they're like, oh, what the heck? I didn't sign up. And, and, And so we need to understand two things. His sovereign guiding will will be within a path of righteousness. There will be a certain uprightness to the way God leads us. And there will be a certain call to us to be righteous as Christ has made us righteous. Amen? Second, he will lead you into situations, relationships, jobs, etc. That are for his namesake, not necessarily ours. You see, I ask God plenty of times to do things for my name's sake. And sometimes he actually lets it go through all so that I can figure out it's not what I really want. And so everything God guides you in will ultimately be for the glory of his name, Jesus's name. And in Colossians 1 verse 15, it says this, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have the preeminence. Long story short, God is not going to do anything outside of his righteousness. And that is not for Christ's name. Everything that was created for him and by him. And so we need to understand that God's will is all about God. You see, just as our will oftentimes is always about us, it may have implications for other people, whether good or bad, but our will is ultimately for us, right? For our comfortability, for our success, whether it be a good venture or not, right? And so God, oh, his will is to enact his purposes for his namesake. And the fact that God will not do anything outside his righteousness, and the fact that God is all about Christ's name, is actually good for the Christian. It's a very good thing for the Christian, guys. Since God is all about his righteousness, since God is all about expanding his name, since God is all about expanding his glory, it's actually very, very, very good news for us Christians. You see, it says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, right? We love to throw that verse out there, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good, right? All things work together for the good, for those who love God and for those that are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. And, and, and so the thing about God's will, guys, is that when we are inside of it, all things work together for the good because who is it for? God, right? And, and so sometimes we get wrapped up in our own will. Something bad happens and we're like, what the heck? Romans eight twenty eight, right? <laughs> You know, we, 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 we just start a business adventure or, or, or we start a different relationship. And some, somewhere along the line, like the ship sinks, right? Titanic hits the iceberg. And we're like, what the heck, God? I'm a Christian. All things are supposed to work for my good, right? That Jesus culture song, all things work together for my good. Yeah. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? His purpose. So inside our will, things may or may not work together for our good, right? But for everything that is inside his will and his purpose, 
will ultimately work together for our good, right? Because God never fails, right? His love never fails. And so we need to understand that when we ask for God's guiding will, when we ask for God to guide us, and when we ask for him to be our shepherd, we need to understand that we are submitting our will, we're laying it down, right? We're dying to ourselves, and we are seeking to live for Christ's glory. And that doesn't mean everything I want dies, It means everything I want is everything Christ wants. And and, and so I inherit his will. I inherit his desire. And, And so everything that I go forth and everything that I seek to be guided in by God will ultimately work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose because God is all about his namesake, right? His namesake. You see, when you're being guided by God, our shepherd, there's also, there's a certain level of prosperity that follows. When you're being guided by God, there is a certain level of prosperity. It does not mean that you'll be without pain or suffering. It does not mean that you'll be without pain or suffering. However, it does mean that the suffering and pain you experience will have profound meaning and it will have purpose behind it. Some of us suffer with no purpose behind it because it's self-inflicted, right? And it's totally outside the will of God. And sometimes its purpose is to bring us back into the will of God. Now, there is prosperity in God's will. You know, sometimes we're so scared of the prosperity gospel that we, we totally negate that and say that there's absolutely no prosperity within the will of God. There is, but it's not without pain and struggle, right? There's prosperity, but it's not in the absence of pain. It's not in the absence of poverty at times. It's not in the absence of hard times. But there is a level of prosperity for those who walk in the path of righteousness, being led by God, our Savior, right? It means that if you are seeking to bring his kingdom and his purposes, there will be a success and thriving that meets you along the way. That meets you along the way. That is why the first part of our prayers, guys, is Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? The shepherd, guys, you know, this also means it's also good for us to be in God's righteousness. It's also good for us to be led by God because it totally puts the pressure off of us. This is another reason why it's super good to be led by God. Totally puts the pressure off of the Christian. Totally puts the pressure of thinking about the future, of thinking about what great success I'll have in the future, who, who I'm going to marry, what college I'm going to go to, when am I going to graduate, all these things that we drop. When are my finances, are, when are they going to be intact? When is this suffering going to be over? When am I going to finally get that green pasture? When am I going to finally be beside still waters? All this stress that we build up and all this anxiety that we build up inside ourselves, when we are within the leading power of God and when we're being guided by him, that pressure is off. Because the sheep, when being led by the shepherd, had they, they didn't need to worry about where the green pastures would be. They didn't need to worry about when they would be led by still waters. All they had to do was follow the shepherd. The shepherd was the representation of the still waters and of the green pastures. So it takes the pressure off of us guys. The sheep weren't stressed like, where's the green pasture? Where's the green pasture? Right? They just knew that their shepherd was right there and eventually they'd get there. Right? Us as Christians, there's, there's this level of anxiety and there's this level of bondage that just gets to be released off of us in worrying about the future. I've said this before many times, guys. The Christian life is, is not an anticipation of your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your 20-year plan. The Christian life is all about being guided right here, right now, being faithful now. Being faithful now. The shepherd's leading you into still waters. The, leper, the, the, the shepherd's leading you by green pastures, right? So if you desire to be within the guidance of the shepherd, you have to be willing to do the things that the shepherd says, right? 
and, you know, before I go through, you know, how he's going to guide us, these practical steps of how to recognize his voice, how to recognize his guidance. We need to understand that. Otherwise, we're just like sheep that are asking the shepherd for directions, then leaving, right? You know, you never see a sheep that says, yo, shepherd, where, where, where do I go? Okay, see ya, right? You never get a shepherd that asks for directions and then leaves the shepherd's presence to go find it, right? They're not that smart, and they can't speak, so that'd be weird, right? And so we, as sheep, don't ask the shepherd for directions and then just go our own way. We just simply follow the shepherd. And we just simply obey him and do what he tells us to do. So the God's, so God's guiding nature suggests that there should be a certain level of obedience and righteousness to be inherited by the sheep in order for this to work, right? Which is the first and the hardest step. We really need to come to grips with that. We need to come to grips that if we want to be guided by God and if we want his best for our life and we are truly praying for him to fix our lives and for him to restore our souls, because some of us truly, truly desire for him to restore our soul. Some of you have been weary way too long. Your souls have just been longing to relax. And as Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's because he's the one leading now. And many of us, we read these verses about peace and about being anxious for nothing. Yet we still have this pent up thing inside of us that thinks that God gives us directions and we go apart from him. We need to understand all we need to do is be in the presence of our shepherd. Seek to sit by him. It was Martha who was just, she was in Jesus's presence, so stressed out and so anxious. She was serving all over the place. She was trying to feed everybody and she was trying to clean up after everybody. And she was getting stressed and she was getting bitter at other people. And her sister Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet. Once again, we go back to this concept. Being led by the shepherd means to not necessarily focus our lives around doing things for the Lord, but rather being with the Lord and obeying as we go along. Right? Obeying as we go along. It's the first step. And it's the hardest step, guys. And so now we're, we're going to be just going into a place. I don't usually do PowerPoints. It's Mark's thing. But I, I just, it is the most simple and crappy PowerPoint. Nate, Nate was making fun of me back there. This my aesthetic skills. I do not. Yeah. But we are going to be going through five parts of the shepherd's staff is what I want to call it. Just, you know, five parts of, of how God guides us, how God directs us, ways so we can recognize his voice, recognize his guidance in our lives. And, and I'm going to try to make it as practical as possible. But like I said before, there's going to be a certain level of obedience and righteousness that we need to inherit from Christ in order to see the, these things through. Otherwise, we're just a Pharisee, right? Because I'm going to talk about praying. I'm going to talk about being in your word. I'm going to be talking about serving the church. And if we simply take these five steps and say, all right, I got to do this, 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 and this, and then I'll know exactly what the Lord wants from me. We would be failing in the same area of the Pharisees if we did so. We need to understand that these things are a part of being with Jesus, being with God, being with Abba, our father, and enjoying his presence, and then recognizing his voice. As we seek to do his will because we love him, and totally recognizing that anything we, we imagine in our heads, what the good life is, is nothing in comparison to just living with God. And so we're not going to have these as five steps to get what I want from God. These are going to be five steps on how to be with my Lord and recognize his voice because I love him. And I want to please him. Right? 
And so the first part, guys, the first part about recognizing God's guidance and his will is his word. Is his word. Yeah, fancy, I know. Look at that. Oh, man, I'm good. Let's go to number two really quick. See? <laughs> yeah. Whew. All right. Impressed? I know. <laughs> Look how I spell it. Yeah. Mom, you proud of me? Yeah. <laughs> Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46 and 47 says, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days. Guys, the first step, and, and, and these aren't necessarily in level of importance, however, I will put the word the greatest level of importance here because it, it's, it's pretty much the foundation by which you analyze and look at everything else that follows. Okay. And so we need to understand, we need to have a healthy view of the word because there's, there's pretty much, there's two ways. There's two ways really that, that people look at the word. The first way guys, and, 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 and perhaps the most dangerous way we can look at the word is that you search in scripture to justify or explain your lifestyle and the choices you make. Many people do this. They look at the word and, and they look at, they look at their life first and they look at their word right? They look at their lifestyle. They, they analyze their lifestyle. They see what they like about their lifestyle, what they dislike about their lifestyle. Then they read the Bible and find verses to justify what they like and to justify what they dislike. This is a very, very dangerous way of using God. It's using God. It's using God. It's not like using God's word as a sword, right? It's not like wielding in a graceful manner. It's using God as you would use a person. Keep in mind, it is for his namesake. And I'll just give you an example. Someone's prejudice. Someone has a prejudice in some race or ethnicity. They find just several Bible verses to justify their prejudice. Someone has this desire to teach and be in front of people. So then they find verses to justify that desire. Someone really wants to date an unbeliever. So they find verses to justify it. Someone's in sexual immorality. They ignore the verses that speak into their lives and then they find verses to justify it. Their lifestyle. This is a very dangerous way of looking at God's word, right? For obvious reasons. It's using God and it's not being guided by God. It's actually guiding yourself and using God as an excuse to, for your prejudice, for your worldview. You see, you don't shape your worldview, then you use God to justify your worldview. You don't have that privilege, human. You don't have that privilege. As sheep, we don't have the privilege of deciding what the path of righteousness is. That's the shepherds to decide. And so in your relationships, in your marriages, in your dating relationships, you don't get to define that. Sorry. And you don't get to use scripture to justify the sin that you're in. God shapes your worldview. In your business tactics, you don't get to decide how you do business and then use verses in the Bible to justify how you do business, right? You don't get to just make up parenting styles and then use scripture to justify what you do or do not do. That's the first view of looking at scripture. And that's usually when people tank and they're surprised that they tank because the Bible clearly says this, right? You see, the second way and the healthy way to view God's word is that you search for scripture to guide and define your lifestyle and the choices you make. Do you see the contrast here? Some people search for scripture to justify their lifestyle. Others use scripture to create and define their lifestyle. Meaning, as I read the word, it guides me. 
doesn't mean I take a step and look back at the Bible to make sure I took the right step. It means as I'm taking steps, I'm looking and saturating myself in the word of God and it guides me. It is a lamp to my feet, meaning this, it's a lamp into my feet. If you've ever held an old fashioned lamp, it doesn't really extend for, you know, very far. And, and so there's pretty much only like, a, I would say a three to four foot diameter. And, and it's, it's a light into your path. I mean, you're not going to see the far future and you're really not going to see what's behind you. You see right here, what's right in front of you. It's a light into your feet. And so we use scripture guys to not to justify the decisions we've already made, but to define the decision to the decisions we're going to make in the future. That's, that's, that's truly why we seek the Lord in the morning, right? That's truly why we seek the Lord in the morning. That's truly why we do our devotions in the morning when we wake up. It's not out of some piety. It's not because God just asks us to. It's because we want the word of God to define the steps that we take. We don't want, we don't want to get at the end of our day, get in the word and then say, dang, I made this mistake, this mistake, and this mistake, Right? We want to start off our day being guided by the word of the Lord. We want to start off our year, this new year, being guided by the word of the Lord. And so as I implored you guys last week, how many of you have been in your word? Know how to recognize the voice of your shepherd? Have you been using the word to just justify all the decisions you've been making? Or are you using the word to define decisions you, the decisions you will be making? We need to have a healthy view of God's word. And and we truly, we truly want to utter the words that that Samuel spoke. Samuel spoke this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9. He said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Isn't that that truly the desire of all of our hearts? Our our, our hearts sanctified by the Holy Spirit, put our flesh aside. I, I truly believe all our hearts, we just want to hear from the Lord. Our hearts are sojourners. They want to be guided by God. They want to be guided by God. Can your heart truly say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears? Are we listening to him? Are we seeking him in the morning? Are we seeking him in the evening? Are we seeking to be defined? Our lifestyle, our choices, our relationships, are we seeking to define them first on God's word? And Are we going to be structured by God's word? Are we going to be formed by God's word? We want to utter those words, guys. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that's that's the first way, guys, and the most important way we will be guided by God and that he already speaks to us. The second way, and it'll be completely useless without really having a foundation of the word is his symbols. And here's what I mean by his symbols. I mean, the Lord called Moses using a burning bush, right? The Lord called Moses using a burning bush. God led the Israelites out of captivity with a pillar of fire by day, uh, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. He guided them in this manner. You see we that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove, a symbol. You see, David uses the symbol of the shepherd to communicate to us the relationship between us and God. Does that make sense? Uh, Jesus often used parables. Everyday things and situations can be communicating something, right? God can be communicating stuff to us through everyday situations. And if we do not have a good foundation of the word, we're not going to be able to recognize just the everyday things that happen where God wants to speak to you. You see, if you simply pay attention to God, he will show you. But some of us are too preoccupied with our own desires, and we're really not looking for, as Matt Chandler would say, shadows of the gospel. There are shadows of the gospel in everyday life. There are those burning bushes in everyday life. There's situations where God is trying to speak to you. And if we're all about us and our purposes, we're often going to just brush over them. There's everyday situations where people are in need. There's everyday situations where, where somebody does a good deed for you that goes unappreciated by you, and where God is trying to communicate something. And we have to be sensitive. We really have to seek the Lord 
every day in his word by prayer. And as we take each step trying to be guided by the Lord, situations begin to change. Relationships begin to change. And we start to look for shadows of the gospel. There are symbols of it everywhere. Um, I, I love uh, the, the author and poet, Oswald Chambers. Uh, one of my, like, if any of you have been to my house and used my bathroom, uh, it's actually in my bathroom, this quote right here, because, you know, I just enjoy a nice Oswald Chambers as I'm contemplating and waiting. Um, it says this, Oswald Chambers says this, Earth's crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries and daub their natural faces, unaware more and more of the first similitude. I truly believe like poets just put complicated words to, you know, oh, it's poetry. But what Chambers is trying to say, what Chambers is communicating here is that everyday situations, everyday things can be God speaking to you. Your relationships with your friends and the, and, and, and the things that happen that you would say are merely coincidence aren't coincidence. You need to look at the conversations you have and the relationships you have with other people and the everyday things, such as me driving here today. Yeah, I, in between services, you know, I was driving from home here to the church and it was right before sunset and the sky was just so beautiful. Do you guys see that? The post-storm sky? Earth is crammed with heaven, as Chambers would say. So beautiful. And how little and how seldom do we just sit and soak in that splendor. Soak in the glory of God. And it's by these situations God will often guide us into. We need to understand that God works through symbols. God works through everyday things and everyday situations. The third way that God communicates to us is his servants. Some would say that the word of God is the only true guidance that God gives and that they do not need people to tell them what God wants for them. I know God's word. You don't need to tell me. In fact, I don't need to go to church, right? I need to go to church, me and God, I got his word, right? And those who often say and claim that the Bible is their only means for guidance often suggest that they really don't read the Bible. Those who would say that the Bible is the only form of guidance obviously haven't read it. Obviously haven't read it because you see no ideal is of any practical use unless it's incarnated. And and here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, God appoints kings, prophets, priests, warriors, and judges to guide his people. In the New Testament, God appoints pastors, elders, deacons, and fellow believers to guide people. So how do you recognize a servant of God? You see, God uses his servants. Now, there's a difference between God's instruments and God's servants. Some people are used as an instrument of God, whether it be in their obedience or in their stupidity. Right? There's some people that are used by God. Take Samson, for example. Not exactly a servant of God. He was more of an instrument of God. Because he kept disobeying and disobeying, and God's like, I'm going to use your stupidity, and you're just going to kill every Philistine and save my people, even though you suck. And, and, and so an instrument of God is someone who is picked up by God, used by God, then put down again. Right? There are instruments of God everywhere, believers and non-believers alike. It says in Exodus that Pharaoh was indeed an instrument of God at some points. But there's a difference between an instrument of God and a servant to God. A servant to God is someone who has come and said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. A servant to God is someone who has recognized that God is the shepherd. They are sheep. They're going to follow him. And and God often speaks through his servants. And this is why fellowship is so important. Fellowship is often important because, do you know what? My view of scripture is very limited compared to all of us put together, right? My one perspective is very limited. If you haven't noticed, I'm like young and dumb. 
So, so oftentimes my view of scripture is not sufficient enough for even my guidance. I need to surround myself by other people who are also in tune with God. We need to have fellowship. We need to have a plurality of view. We need to have servants. And so guys, never neglect the advice that a fellow believer wishes to give you. But do you just accept anyone's advice? Absolutely not. And so how do you recognize someone who, who is a true servant of God? Go back to point number one. If they are a true servant of God, they will never, ever contradict the word of God in their advice to you. Their advice will be grounded and rooted in the word. They are those that submit to God and his purpose. They're not people pleasers. You see, we, we live in a world, guys, we, all, we really do live in a society that it is the best for the best for the greatest number, right? The leaders are supposed to make the decision that is, that is the least resistance and that is the best for the most amount of people. A servant of God won't say, what decision can I make for the greatest amount of people not to be angry? A servant of God will say, how can I obey my Lord? How can I obey my God? Whether it pleases people or not, as, as Paul would say in Galatians chapter one, for do I persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant in Christ. If I sought to please people, I wouldn't be a servant in Christ. And so we need to understand that God speaks through his servants, but you need to listen to those who seek to glorify Christ and not just to please you and to tickle your ears, right? And so the second to last way, I swear I'm ending soon, is prayer, his fellowship, fellowship with him, fellowship with him. In Mark chapter one, verse 35, it says, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were searching for him, they found him and they said, everyone's looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And, and what this entire thing means, guys, is that Jesus would wake up early in the morning and he'd go to a solitary place and he would pray and he'd have fellowship with God. And when he came back down, he would have complete guidance and that unity with God and that friendship with God. A man is of very little use without prayer. A man is of very little use without prayer. It is in that prayer time where we unite our hearts with God's. Our will becomes his will. His will becomes our will. We inherit his desires in prayer. Going back to it saying, not my will, but your will be done, Christ said. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is us submitting to the Lord saying your will be done. The process of prayer, guys, and your guidance with God should be a continual state of saying, Lord, this is what I want. If it is not holy, make the desire go away. Lord, this is what you want as I have read in your word. Make it come to fruition in my life. That is your prayer life. This is how you'll be guided in this fellowship with God and this unity with God. Don't neglect your prayer life. This is where I fall short the most. Out of all the five points I'm giving you, prayer is where I fall short the most because God has given me so many ideas. And then I have so many ideas. I have so many different dreams and visions in my head that I want to pour forth onto this earth, my will. And I want to bless you people with my will. And if I'm not in my prayer life, if I'm not in my closet with God, oftentimes you will get Zach's ideas instead of God's ideas. And nobody likes those guys. Nobody wants to hear your ideas. Yeah, and Mike is like, oh. <laughs> guys, it's prayer life is us. God, what's your will? What's your will? Right? And it's us laying our desires at his feet and saying, Lord, if any of these desires are holy, make them come to fruition. If none of these desires are holy, replace them with better ones. Right? And so on our last note, guys, 
The last way we'll be guided is by his love. It's by his love. In Romans 2, verse 4, it says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Don't you know that his kindness leads you to repentance? Don't you know that his kindness leads you to repentance? Don't you know that his kindness leads you to repentance? Being led by the Lord is continually just being blown away by God's love for you. You see, God's love pouring into us, through us, brings forth such guidance in a way that we look differently about life. A lot of being guided is really putting off the blinders. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, 16, it says, uh, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. Guys, the entire concept that the Savior, the Lord of the universe, he who created this world, that he would see you in your sinfulness and still desire you. Guys, when, when I say sinfulness, there's something that comes into every single one of our heads. That secret sin that you, nobody else knows about. Those things that you've done, those things that you've said to people, those things that you continue to talk about people behind your back, their backs. That deep hatred in your heart you have for that one person that's wronged you. That deep bitterness in your heart where you don't even know where it comes from. The, the times you've snapped at your spouse. The times where you have betrayed those that you love. All the wrongdoing, all the immorality, all the disgusting things that you have saturated yourself in. And God would see you and say, I still love him. I still desire them and I'll do anything that it takes to get them. That love. And not only does he take that away from you, not only does he, he, he take that sin away from you and put it on his shoulders, not only that he would take that sin away from you, but he would say, I'm going to give you a life that you never thought possible. I'm going to give you fruit above all measure. This, this, this love and the fact that God would, would bring his presence to you and love you and shower you with his grace. This affects the way that we see the world and it affects the steps that we take. Truly being affected by the gospel means we see people differently. We make decisions based on the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. As John would argue, who has the love of God if he sees a brother in need and just says, hey, I'll be praying for you. The shallowness of feeling sorry for people without going the extra mile to help them. You see, the love that Christ has endowed upon us should totally affect the way we walk. And it is by this love, and it's by his love and being affected by it and being surrounded by it in our personal prayer life and in our devotion to the Lord, by his love, we will be led into different situations because his love for us and our love for him will seep into our love for other people. And, and, and so this is the one I want to put so much emphasis on. We need to understand we must be reintroduced to the gospel and the love of God every day of our lives before we could ever hope to be guided by his word, his symbols, his servants, his fellowship. Because it, it's as Paul said, hey, you can have all the gifts. You can speak with tongues of men and angels, but if you have not love, you are empty. If you have not love, you're empty. If love for God and for you does not compel me to preach, it's empty. 
If the love of God and the love for others does not compel you to serve in the church or to serve in your community, you're empty. Things will not work together. It says that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That love for God, that first love. You see, the Ephesian church in Revelation had so much, so much good deeds going for them. So much good things. They were bustling, they were tithing, they were praying, they were reading their words, they were serving the community, but they had lost the love of Christ. They were empty. And so tonight as we worship and tonight as we, as we seek God in communion and we remember the sacrifice that he's made for us, We need to understand that being guided by God is first and foremost centered around the gospel and the sacrifice he's made for us. As Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. We need to let God's love guide us. Our love for him will ultimately spill out into love for other people. And so tonight I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to have communion up here where we can just spend time with Jesus tonight in worship. And we can declare that the Lord is our shepherd, but let's, let's declare more than that. That his love has so affected us into this worship. Let's saturate ourselves in his gospel and the sacrifice he's made for us. So we have the body that was broken, the, the bread that we take. It's, it's to represent that body that was mangled and broken for you out of that love. And the juice here represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you so that it can cover you and that righteousness can just surround you. Let it surround you. And as we take communion, we're just going to remember this love and we're going to remember and we're going to let it guide us, guys. In the worship, we're going to let it guide us. And so I'm going to pray and we're just going to be real before the Lord, be real before our shepherd and ask for his guidance, for his guiding nature, amen? Lord, we, we desire you tonight, we love you. And God, we recognize that there, there's nothing we can do outside your love. Pray that you would guide us according to your word, according to your symbols, according to your servants, according to our prayer life. And ultimately, the love and the sacrifice you made for us, let it, let it affect the way we see people. Let it affect the way we see our world around us. Let it affect the way we see our jobs and our wife and our husband and our kids the people sitting next to us that we're worshiping with, Lord. Let the love that you have showered upon us affect the way that we walk. So we worship you tonight out of pure love. Help us to see you tonight, Lord. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.